he'll be there. So there he is. There, look at that. I love it, Patrick. <laughs> well, some of the advantages of not being consulting anymore is that uh, I don't have to dress up. I don't have to cut my hair. Oh, yeah. Are you on? Are you on like a beach in Hawaii, or like where are you right now? <laughs> oh, just a Zoom background. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I don't want to know, and I don't want you to do, is to stand up because I know what you're going to teach us if you stand up. So. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Consultants Saying Things. I am Chris Lockhart, and I am joined by Phil Yanoff and special guest. Um, we have a guy who I've known for, gosh, I don't know, we're going on 20 years, but this guy is, his name is Patrick Milholland. And Patrick was an ex-consultant colleague of mine back in the day, a management consultant. And then he kind of went on to do sort of this really interesting career uh, trajectory. And, you know, Patrick, we're going to talk about this, but Patrick left consulting. He went into uh, roles like he was a CFO, he was a CEO, he was a CIO, CTO. He was all the C's, all the all the C-suites. Um, and most recently was working at a company called Art19, which dealt with um, adverti inserting advertisements into podcasts, uh, which I think was just recently sold to Amazon a couple of years back. And so I think technically you work at Amazon now, right? So Patrick, welcome uh, to the program. I'm glad that you are here. I'm glad we could arrange this. Um, so thank you for joining. Um, so I, what are we going to talk about today? Well, look, you, you've had kind of an interesting career, right? And I think one of the things that, you know, people who listen to this or watch this, and certainly every consultant that I engage with, one of the primary things that they're always thinking about is, yeah, I, I've got a career path. At some point, I'm probably going to exit consulting. What does that look like when I exit consulting? Where do I position myself, right? And I think what's interesting about what you've done, right, is you you exited consulting and went sort of right into these roles that sort of, you know, incrementally increased, uh, what's the right word, gravitas, right? You know, your your presence, all, all of those things. So I kind of wanted to get into that. So I think, you know, uh, one of the, I think one of the, the first, where do we start? We, we start with, you know, how did you get into management consulting to begin with? Because I mean, you and I started working on a project, but you, we'd all both already been in for a while, right? So how, how did you get started? So I was in my 20s, uh, and I got to director of software engineering for a startup in Northern Virginia that had no official education, right? No bachelor's degree, no master's degree, no formal education. So I made a strategic decision to go back and get my education and interrupt my current career because I was looking at roles above me, and all of them had some educational requirement at that time, right? It's a little more flexible now, but it looked at where I wanted to go, and all of it had educational expectations for it. So I gave up a six-figure salary in my 20s to go back and do uh, education. So I went to Carnegie Mellon University, got my bachelor's in computer science, got my master's in software engineering, got my MBA in finance, decided I wanted to go from undereducated to overeducated all at one time, right? That's so awesome. I just shove it all into one thing and get it done. Right? <laughs> uh, so, so I got my three degrees there, and I came out of the MBA in finance, and it was interesting because I originally had uh, – couple of choices, right? I had management consulting, or I had this interesting thing of progressive called a leadership rotation program, where they were trying to emulate GE, who was famous for having 
the most Fortune 500 CEOs ever, them and McKinsey, right? So this whole leadership rotation program where they put you into every possible role to, you know, groom you to be a future executive. What I learned from Progressive was that it was a pilot program that they discussed, but it was not overall adopted by an organization. It was a pilot program with a certain area, and it became a lightning rod of why was I there and no one else there. Mm. I became like this political firestorm centered around me, around why does this exist? Why weren't we collaborated? Why can't I put my person in here? And it was good in theory, but when I actually worked out in practice, it was a whole lot of political games that were way above my pay grade. Right. So you decided consulting is the place for me because there's no politics. Exactly. That was it, right? So I reached back out to Paul Frank, who you and I are both aware of the time, who I interviewed with as well out of the MBA program of finance. Uh, and he said, yeah, come join Diamond. We'll be happy to have you, right? So but either one of those were both, you know, the, both the thoughts of both of them were, as director of software engineering, I definitely wanted to be CIO, right? Yeah. And how do I get to CIO from director of software engineering? The leadership rotation program was a clear path, and over half the executives of Progressive were going to retire, which they talk about, that's your easiest way up, is when the executives right. retire, you have a pathway to go to. Don't go report to young executives and old ones who are going to retire. And then the other ones, management consulting, because it clearly gives you all the skills necessary to demonstrate sure. that, and you work directly with CIOs. So, I mean, that's very deliberative, right, Phil? I mean, most of the folks that we talk to, I think, or that certainly I engage with, don't have that level of, like... I want to be CIO and to do that, I need three degrees and I need to do all this stuff and I need to get there. It's kind of interesting, right? Well, no, I think that's absolutely right. And I'm kind of wanted to ask Patrick, I mean, what do you think was the part of your background that made you want that, right? How did you decide? Was it, you know, was it, I mean, the easy answer is always financial, but I don't know if that's always the actual answer. What were you trying to get done? So... As I progressed in my career, I started as a programmer, right? I started as a programmer making barely above minimum wage at a hospital, and I worked my way up from there, right? So they got more and more senior in my responsibilities. It was interesting not just seeing the code that I delivered execute, but the strategic value it had in the overall organization. And the higher up I got, the more strategic conversation it had around, well, how does this actually apply to where we want to go? And I thought that was fascinating, right? So it's not just the execution of the actual code, it's the how does this affect where we're going long-term as an organization? And the C-suite always had a, a board on the strategic committee around how do we figure out what the future of the organization is. And I always found those conversations fascinating when I had a chance to participate them in, in them as a tangentially when I was coming up my career path as a, as a coder. Yeah. And, and obviously the financial thing was there, right? And so there was a whole lot of articles on how much C-level was made, but that was a secondary thing. It was really interesting around what the career path would give me. <clears throat> I mean, I think, hospitals and banks are one of those places like where you can realize, you know, you know, who's who, because the hierarchy is really clear, right? I mean, it's like, you know, we know who the boss man is. We see his suits, we see his watches, we look at his shoes, we know what's going on. You know, we, we know how to keep score. And that becomes the thing we want to keep score with. But it sounds like that was the thing you wanted. Now, let me just say, the path you took, not everybody could have done that, right? Going to Carnegie Mellon and decided I'm going to go rack up three degrees. Uh, that's a uh, that's work. And it obviously required effort. And you said already told us there was a financial thing, right? I had to give up a job that I had in order to go spend some time and study. Talk to us about how that felt while you were doing it. 
So again, I was director of software engineering in my 20s. I thought that was it. What, what am I going to do from here? Right. I'm like, I'm in my 20s. I'm repeating my career. This feels kind of depressing. I got to figure out some way to actually make that not depressing. Right. So mm. it, it was more of a almost existential thought around. You retire. You put on a floral shirt, you grow a beard, and you retire. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the more interesting thing was the fact that my wife at the time supported me on it. Right. She was like, yeah, we'll go from having this nice lifestyle where we travel to doing none of that um and go living a college uh, student sort of a uh, existence uh but no it was uh it was very much of the I, I need to feel like i'm going to accomplish something beyond my 20s <laughs> yeah no i i just i love that i was like look i wanted more and i realized that there was a barrier to entry and i was gonna have to go do some work and pull that off yeah. So what did you say your first gig was coming out of school then? You go, you, I know it sounded like you racked up the degree part of this, the education back to back. Is that right? All the education was back to back, right? So so yeah. prior to the education, I got the director of software engineering. After my education, my first was progressive with the uh, leadership rotation program. My first job overall was doing help desk at a hospital for nine bucks an hour where I turned into a programmer and worked up from there. When when yeah. you made the transition to consulting out of Progressive, right? And you, you mentioned Paul Frank. Did did Diamond recruit you because of Carnegie Mellon, or you had, or was it a personal relationship? No. So so yeah. the biggest advantage of Carnegie Mellon was the MBA program had high recruiting, right? So McKinney right. showed up, Diamond showed up, uh, Deloitte showed up, Progressive showed up. So I interviewed with a whole bunch of companies and kept in touch with them because you know why wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Was that part of your calculus calculus for choosing CMU? Yeah. You know, that they were really good at placement? Because, I mean, they were. I mean, they were legendary at the time, right? Yeah. So, Still so, are. But so, so my first introduction to Carnegie Mellon, what got on my radar was that when I was a kid, I watched Star Wars. I wanted to build R2-D2, right? So Carnegie Mellon was the number one or number two robotics place in the country, right? So that put them right. on the radar. And then I thought about all the, the MBA recruiting and all the, the clout they had with various different organizations. Absolutely. Right. It's a very expensive school. It's a very intensive school, but it has benefits to it. So you go you go into management consulting, you're working at Diamond. What was your first project at Diamond? Do you remember? Doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, it was insurance, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. We're working with Boo. Boudreaux, well, well, what I'm wondering is like that transition because you know management consulting is it it's its own thing, right? And yeah, you did the progressive leadership rotation, but that's not quite the same thing, right? So, what was that transition like? Because that's kind of a big change, isn't it? So, so I, I like to say I learned more in the first twelve weeks of management consulting than I learned in any individual year of any job I ever had. I love it. Well, that's an advertisement, folks. If you too want to learn more in the first twelve weeks of a project, then any you should be a management consultant. It was directly into like a strategy project. Like you're, you have an insurance back who's progressive. We're going to put you in insurance, but you have to find a strategy. You have twelve weeks to figure out the entire landscape, talk to all the executives, figure out what all the yeah. software is, how it all connects to each other, who all the players are, and yeah. it was intense, right? It was it was a lot of long nights, a lot of long days, but it was just just fire hose straight out, right? Did you did you know that going in? We've like so we've talked to lots of folks that were you know ex booze ex PwC ex Diamond, and you know one of the things that you always hear and we all know is the long nights, right? And the like the lot of effort. And some of the folks are like, you know, I had no idea that's what it was when I went in. So again, my goal was to be CIO. So the yeah. 
McKinsey thing as the most C-level executives of any consulting company was sort yeah. of a driving factor of consulting can get me to my goal, right? right. So, so that was the primary motivation. The fact that I had to work a lot to do it. You just, you just toughed it out. You're like, I'm, I have, I have North Star, right? I have my, I, I'm deliberate about the choices I've made so far. This is where I'm going. I have to do this to get there. That's, I mean, that's very cool. I didn't know that about you. I, you know, that's certainly not my story. <laughs> um, I, I found out okay. my wife after, you know, going from, you know, six figure salary to poverty for how many years to get on my education, right? That, that, that I have a very definite goal in mind and I have a very definite path to get there. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did, um, so you, when you came out, then, you, I mean, you, after you're at your first stint, what caused you to make the jump from first gig to second gig? What was the driver there? Uh, you mean from consulting to the first CIO job? Yeah. Yeah. So I worked with Lockhart, right, with Dave Baker, and we did strategic roadmaps. We did, you know, strategic thoughts for multi-year transformations for IT, right? Multi-hundred million dollar multi-year, right? So I was approached by this company. Well, I reached out to this company through some connections who had Nature Bridge, who was a series of independent campuses across the country, and they wanted to become one national organization. So it was like exactly dovetailed in the kind of stuff I was doing with Baker and with Lockhart around mm -hmm. how do I fundamentally transform an organization how do I streamline all the processes? How do I streamline the information technology and the systems? How do I streamline all of this? And it was amazing how much the foundational work that we did together was directly applicable to that job, right? Yeah. So it was yeah. like, it was almost like it was custom made for the first uh, rotation out of it. And it was me just constantly looking, because again, CIO was my goal from the beginning. So I'd regularly look for CIO jobs and I found, I thought, I want to apply for this thing, right? <laughs> So that was the, uh, and, and they just let you in. They just said, sure, come on in. So, so it was fascinating because the, the, they actually hired a consulting company to do the committee for the search. Hmm. And they initially tossed my resume out. And the consulting guy is like, I'm in consulting. This guy has the exact skill set you want to transform your organization. I see the value of consulting. Give this guy an interview. Um, so, so I actually had to be pulled back off the, the, the reject pile by the consultant that was helping them figure out the, the search path. So consulting saved your life in at least more than one way. Yes. Consulting <laughs> definitely saved my life in more than one way. That's fantastic. All right. Was that so that that first gig was that was a CI C what was that? What role was, was that? So that was CIO. CIO. Yep. So so you made it. You're CIO. Yep. That was your goal. You're there. That was my goal, right? That was the uh it was and it was also interesting in that it was a, a national nonprofit. So it was a opportunity to really do invest in the mission which I underestimated the first time around around how much it actually felt good to have a positive mission to have for the overall organization. It does actually make a difference, right? And it's an interesting motivating factor to the entire organization when you're all aligned to the same mission. Uh, environmental education, improving the lives of children, a bunch of other stuff, which had direct measurable impact over the 40 years that had been in business and a bunch of, you know, people talking about how it changed their life forever how they were inner city and now they have a career because of nature bridge and the ability it was able to shift their life. So it was it, from a personal satisfaction perspective, it was the opposite of consulting. And it was also interesting. My anecdote from that one, Chris, was that when we were consulting, they talked about what's the best five-star hotel, what's the best first class, what's the best international. You show up at this national nonprofit, they're like, we're thankful for the children. We're thankful for the sky. Uh, yeah. We're very organic. Uh, yeah. we, don't, we don't waste travel. We don't, 
Mm. You know, our carbon footprint is minor. We're here to give back. So it was like you couldn't picture a more shift in yeah. social ex- expectations between two yeah. jobs ever. <laughs> yeah, you went from a points whore to uh, you know the uh, not right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 you, know, you, know, you didn't describe that as a, as um. You didn't describe that as a sacrifice, though. I mean, and here you are smiling when you talk about it. You talked about you led with the values were something that you could lean into and felt good about. Um, is that the way it felt at the time, or did it take retrospective to figure that out? So my dad started his career in military aerospace. So he built a lot of military airplanes, and at one point in his life, he was like, "How many people have I killed?" So he switched his career over to something with more giving back. It was the first time in my career I reflected that, okay, I kind of understand what my dad's talking about now, right? If you go to a job where you're focused specifically on making the world a better place, it does feel better from a fundamental standpoint, right? In consulting, you're about how do you save the most money? How do you get the most money back? How do you make, you know, very objective criteria? It's hardly ever how do you make the world a better place in a consulting matter, right? But it was, it was just a, it wasn't, Something I went into intentionally, but it was something that reflected on my dad's experiences and thought, you know what, this is actually pretty nice. Um, so no, it was, it, it, was, it was not a, it was not a, I didn't find it a sacrifice at that point, right? You know, Phil, we we've talked all kinds of times about right, um, your your happiest when your internal value system is aligned with the work that you're doing, right? Right. And you know. But the thing is, it's easy as a consultant to give that up, right? It's easy to go into a space and say, listen, I need to, you start with the idea, I need to make a living. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and here's the guy that wants to hand me the cash in order to do that. And I'll go be a good person on my own time. And I'll go do what he wants me to do on his time kind of a thing, right? But Mm -hmm. it's a, that is in itself a trade-off. You know, I say a lot of times you can save money, but you pay with your soul. And I think this is a kind of a place where you can make good scrap but you're paying with your soul and at some point that just takes a toll on you and you might not even realize that it's happening i mean it is like you know that poem about being eaten by a boa constrictor it's just a thing that kind of can get you a little by little and everyone around you is doing it the culture of being in some consulting firms is clearly a thing like this is the kind of people we are we eat at places like this we drink like this we fly on planes like this and it's just easy to kind of slip into that culture because you want to fit in wow okay so I, I just i like that idea and i but i, I you know i'm just drawing i'm i'm throwing a spotlight on patrick's story yeah. of you know what you this is part of it because like no one ever sits down especially a consultant never sits down in their spreadsheet of figuring out about their job opportunities and then has how well does this align with my values that's a well, what are my values 20 year old they don't yeah. even know what their values are let alone right. having it aligned with their values right yeah. Oh, yeah. I, well, as Patrick said, at a certain point, at a certain point in your early development, the value is cash. It's as much money as I can make. Yeah. And that was my driving goal in the 20s, right? It was literally, I would figure out what technology paid the best, learn that technology. That was, so I even took SAP classes because at the time it was 300 bucks an hour until you get bored, right? And I was like, like all right. Been there. Done that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Phil decided OS2 warp was the future. And so, you know, I want to tell you, I mean, to be serious about it, for me, it was when we went from uh, single uh, user systems like the Unix, right? Because I remember making the jump 
and the you know big multi-user systems from the PC side up, right? And it was like, oh my God, these Unix guys are charging 10 times what I'm charging. I'm going to do that. And then it would be another thing and another thing and another thing. And that's how I made, I did the same thing. I left along with one technology to another technology because it's like, this just pays better. So let's go do that. And it was great back then because you'd have like advertisers would tell you how much the technologies would pay. So you just sit there and look that's at the right. and go, that's the money I want to make. I can do it. That's the path. That's right. So, so in the, okay. So in this process, right, getting back to, to your journey here, right? So, you know, we're, we're, we're working together on an awesome project in San Francisco. It's a great project. All the while you're calculating how to leave, yeah. right? So what I want to get to is, uh, because you know, when you're on a project, you're on a project. You're you're like, what what was your thought process like? How did you, you were actively managing your career, right? Is what you were doing, right? And and again, you had this north star. So like, what what were the steps you were taking? Like like LinkedIn was around, but it wasn't huge like it is now. So like, what were you doing? Like networking? Were you polishing up your resume? Like, what were some of the things, the steps that you took as you were planning your exit, kind of thing? So there was a quote somebody made years ago that said, there's no roadmap in life. And I thought, well, maybe, right? Because if I want to be CIO, there's a bunch of people who've been CIO who talk about their path to CIO and what they had to do to get there, right? What skill sets they needed, who they need to know. And I read a lot of that back in my late 20s to try to figure out what I need to know, right? So they talked about what strategy they need to know, what technologies they need to know, what skill sets and what jobs led them to what they needed to know. So I did enough of that research that I had a pretty good picture in my head of, what my resume needed to look like and what my background needed to be. And I just customized to that. It was an expansion of the conversation we just had in my 20s. Find a job description, what paid the most, learn that skill set, apply for that job. It was just a larger scale version of that mm-hmm. because it was a larger scale of research to figure out what those requirements were, right? That sounds simple, right? Uh, it's not difficult. It's just, it, it's committed, right? It's like, it's, it's like, you, there are so many things in life which will divert you from places for various different reasons. And it's like, as long as you stay focused on what you want, you can get to where you want to go. Uh, it's just the trade-offs you're making, right? It's hard to go from a six-figure salary to poverty to go back to school. It's hard to convince your wife to go from a comfortable life to go invest in this. It's hard to work the 70-hour works and weeks in consulting to get the, the skill set you need to get the stuff done, right? It's, it's, but if you want to do it, I mean, there's a path there, right? And mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, America's great. One of the best interviews I ever had was with a girl, CIE. They were international exchange students, right? She talked about interviewing around the world, and Europeans would expect to get a job in their degree, right? So they get a degree, they figure out the job, they have a whole career path. She said what I loved about Americans was the degree was just secondary. Americans would do whatever they had to do to survive, right? So their past education, their past experience was just past. If they're here, they got to go there. They'll figure out how to go there, regardless of what their past was to get there, right? So I always thought that was an interesting philosophy and perspective on global expectations and global, you know, understanding of how you get to where you want to go, right? So it's like that, that just go. But, but anyway, so anybody can wake up one day and figure out what they want to do. There's a path to get there, right? Mm. Literally, you can go to Udemy, pay for a $12 course in whatever technology you want, figure out, build your own website, build a portfolio, network your way into a job. There's interesting ways to get to where you want to go that are publicized if you look for them. So, um, like, like, okay, today, right, it's like, look, if you want to learn, 
Snowflake or whatever, right? I mean, there's all kinds of online resources and all kinds of stuff. 2007, 8, 9 era, right? With kind of the era I think we're talking about when you're making some of these decisions. It wasn't quite as much stuff. What, what, I guess what tools, that's terrible. What, 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 uh, it is, it's, that's the only word. What tools did you use, right? To help you with this journey, right? Because, I mean, back then you'd be, what, watching, uh, taking a learning module or like, like reading a book, I guess you're reading books, right? What? SAP for dummies. Is that where you start? Is that? So, 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 so Swift, the first real job I got with my first real paycheck, right? I was the least qualified individual from a pure qualification standpoint. Hmm. So the reason I told you to hire me was that I knew more about their company than they did. I Ooh. knew more about their domain space than they did. I knew more about anything than any other person they talked to, right? But you were prepared. I was prepared way more than anybody else was. How I prepared back then was microfiche. I would go back to the library in the basement and microfiche articles. Wait, 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 what? What? You remember microfiche. You, you're old enough to remember microfiche. Yeah, I know. I'm just sort of like kind of astonished. But it was like you go back to the microfiche in the basement of the library and they have like a whole history of newspapers over like, you know, years. You can go back and figure out. You remember the little thing you scrolled around to figure out the, the zoom and magnification. You started reading the details on it. It was there. It was just a lot harder to get to. <laughs> Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't quite indexed for like let me let me let me search for uh, you know company X. Okay, it, it wasn't a thirty second search. It was a four hour uh, journey uh, in the basement of a library. That's interesting. So like it's so much easier now. I wonder I wonder how that impacts people that are kind of following the same path today because it seems like it would be a lot easier for them to to do these things. It would be, but the problem is is that the the like Indeed or something like that, you can just spray and pray. Right, that you get so much black hole of your resume that you apply to so many places that by the time you get an interview for some place, it feels like you're wasting time to research it. So I still have the same problem with people I interview. I ask them, what questions do you have for me? Right, is the number one question I think is interesting for an interview because it shows what research they've done, what to know about my company, what to know about my division, what to know about what I'm going to do. And almost everybody says, I have no questions. Right. So even in this era where you could literally spend three minutes to Google the answers you want. 90% of the people still don't do it. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So you're you're out, you're uh, working for Nature Bridge. You've attained the title of CIO, the first of many titles that you've collected for to put on the wall. And now you this is what you want set out to do. You're there. Yep. Why'd you leave? So so let's go Nature Bridge for a minute, right? So they hired me to transform multiple campuses into one, right? So I did it. I did it ahead of schedule. I hired the IT staff to do it, put the processes together, got the consolidation of all across, got everybody on the same page. And they said, great, um, we should promote you. I don't know what to promote you to. We'll promote you to CFO. And I thought, okay, sure, I'll go CFO. <laughs> no, that was never a goal in my life. That was never a design pattern for where I wanted to go. Right? Did you feel qualified to be a CFO? So you and I did a lot of financial models in consulting. Yeah. Right? So, so we did a lot of strategy work, fine. A lot of financial models, fine. I'm, I'm a good Excel jockey, right? I can make formulas dance off the page. Uh, and I had a controller and accounts payable and accounts receivable. And I had the people in the organization which were actually qualified to do those jobs. Uh, so as someone who leaned heavily on them, yes, right? But with very, very, so I like to say I was a C, capital CIO, a lowercase CFO, right? So it was like, so, so it was like, I knew the CIO, like front to back, I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. 
CFO. So is this, this is the first case in history where the CFO reported to the CIO in a way. Yeah. So, so I used to say that as a CFO, I understood the argument that CIO can't make coherent business cases, right? right. So, yeah, That's interesting. I get stuff from IT around, this will improve the speed of this, or this will micro flops or whatever, go so much faster. You go, okay, as someone who's been a CIO, I could translate that in my head as a CFO to the business justification, the business value for the organization. If I had not had this background as a CFO looking at this going, great, it does this. What does that mean to the business? I don't know. Right. So, so it was an interesting sort of like, you know, understanding now why projects got deprioritized from IT and reprioritized marketing other places because they could actually couch it in the terms of CFO could understand and mm. prioritize it. So yeah. it sounds like being a CIO equipped him to be a better CFO maybe than most CFOs. Yeah, well, but the thing is, too, right? I mean, they were doing this because it felt like a natural progression for them. And you did it because it was a cash grab, I presume, for you, right? <laughs> you you already told us you didn't need that title. It wasn't on your target. But I'm assuming they all it came with a paycheck improvement, I suppose. It, it did, but it was more of the, it was, again, at this point in my career, I'm like, let's see how high I can get, right? It's like, if I'm going to give this, let's give it a shot, right? Um, but it was, so CFO to CIO to me, and I always say it's, CIO is about saying yes. Yes, how do I enable these things? CFO is about saying no. How do I right. reject the hire? How do I reject the project? How do I keep the lights on? How do I get rid of the staff? And it was this interesting dichotomy of the two. And I think the biggest thing I learned as a CFO was I went from a CIO job where most of my meetings were still aligned to IT in some way, right? The CFO was all over the place. It was, how do we maintain our nonprofit standings? Are we paying our employees the right way? What are lease comps in San Francisco? Are we paying the right amount of money for lease camps? So it was, right. I went from having a job with 90% IT to like 5% IT in constant context switching from every single meeting that had nothing to do with the meeting I had before it. Um, and that was an interesting experience in and of itself. <laughs> sure. All right. So I think this is where Chris was going. You were you then had that gig in that title, I guess, for three years. Something caused you to make a switch. How did that happen? So the CEO retired. Um, the, the company I was at. So there were two people who were up for it for the CEO job, and I thought, well, if I'm still going to go, I might as well go at this point. So I threw my sure. I threw my hat in the ring. The other guy threw the hat in the ring. They didn't choose me. I mean, again, I was only had three years experience in the company. At CFO, it really, really wasn't qualified for CFO, even though I had the title. Um, so it's not surprising, but he and I had a very fundamentally different point of view on where the future of the company sure. could go. And you know how right. those end up, right? There's like, it's you can't leave the other guy behind. So that's that's how that job ended. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So does that mean there was a break between you doing that and the, doing the next thing? Yeah, there was a little break. But I got to the place where I was so enamored with the concept of, well, I wonder what a CEO job is like now, um, that, that I actually got to CEO of SF Back, uh, which is a that was a, a branch of PMI, Project Management Institute, based in San Francisco. So I had enough experience at that point, CIO, CFO, and all the other stuff, where they gave me a shot at that job. And then I realized I was doing that job for a year that I kind of missed the technology. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> um, so, uh, all right. So... Up, up at the, till this point, then you know, have everything's cruising along, everything's clicking along for you, aside from the one sort of interregnum, right? Yeah. Um, we love this, that word. You like? I know you like that word. Um, <laughs> uh, Except he was the king. 
Yeah, correct. Yeah, <laughs> he was the king on both ends of the. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, uh, what the hell was I going to say? Thanks, Phil. Um, I don't think you knew. That's why you let me a spot in there. So can I just grab this and pull you forward? So there's that sh- that short stint at PMI. You decide you didn't like that, and that was that becomes clear. And then you so talk to us about what your next space was because it was good. I mean, you weren't at your PMI stint wasn't as long as some of the others. So that indicates you got in there and said, "This is not a good fit for me. I want to do something else." No, so again, it was the first time in over decades which I didn't have a clear. North Star, right? Because my North Star was CIO. I got yeah, you achieved it. You moved on. And then I got the CFO. Yeah, right. And then I got the CEO. And I'm like, well, well, what do I actually want to do? I don't <laughs> I don't know anymore. So it was the first time in like decades where I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. Um, so I went back and thought, you know, we'll, we'll make a 12-year-old me happy. So I went to be CTO of a video game company. Um, so it was like uh because it really was at that point. I wasn't having my North Star was gone. I was just like, I don't know. Dude, I love how you just said that. So, it's like, you know, so I just decided to be a CTO of a video game company. It was that easy. Right. Yeah. Well, but in retrospect, it looks that easy. But once you have enough credentials, I mean, it's just like. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's what I kind of want to get to, right? Is like yeah. having those credentials. This is what I wanted to ask. Well, having those credentials eased, it made things easier as you accumulated more. That's what it sounds like. Very much so. Right. It's it's someone else took the risk on making you that the first time around. It's the old, you know, cash 22, your first job. I'm not going to give you a job. You haven't proven you can do that job. So you're not going to get a job. But now that you've had that job, I'll give you that job. Um, you know, it, it, it became that. Right. Uh, so people actually started reaching out to me at that point with my background and my titles going, we have this opportunity here. We have this opportunity there. Right. Um Again, Tell me, like, what do you think, Patrick? Was it that they felt like they wanted from you, right? I mean, because again, you had a multitude of titles. You tried some different things. What problems do you think that any of these people thought you could solve for them? Why did they want you? So I think Carnegie Mellon helped a lot. I think the fact that I had three degrees from Carnegie Mellon gave me cash right. aid, especially in Silicon Valley, where you know where they have a whole lot of CMU people with technology. And a CMU guy who started his career as an engineer and has also had the title of management consulting in the C-level titles is unique. I mean, it's not there's not there's not a whole lot of people who have that sort of background. Mm. Um, and interestingly enough, some of the, some of the jobs like CIE, uh, they were consulting background, right? Or some of the other people had some consultants somewhere on their staff that thought this guy's background is fascinating. Not only are the consulting experience I have, but the hardcore tech stuff from from way back that's like you know interspersed oh. career. So the titles matter. Do you think, because you lived in Ohio when we were working together and you, and I know you moved to California. Do you think being in Silicon Valley was a big part of this? I do. So location mattered. It wasn't just. It wasn't just. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Uh, okay. So. I, and then I, one last I, I, comment on that. So, so the most common refrain I got from a lot of the places. So at, at this point, I'm like. So after the C2 video game company, I'm like, I'm in Silicon Valley. I should do some startups because you're not here. Because again, my North Star is gone. I'm trying to wander around at this point. And a lot of people who reach out to me said they needed an adult in the room uh, was mm-hmm. the reason they, they reached out to me. It was because they had a whole lot of people in their 20s who were the technologists, but someone who didn't have the, the breadth of experience to, to define the processes, oversee it, understand both the technology and how the system's supposed to work. So that was a phrase I got more often than anything else. They needed an adult in the room to, to manage all these people. <clears throat> How old were you then, do you think? Oh, but this time I was 40s. 
right? Okay. I mean, because I was trying to figure out there's that, right, to the experience. And I get that, right? We want we want someone to act as governor, right? You describe it as adult in the room, but someone to say, okay, what is actually possible and how do we actually get there? Yep. Yeah, I yeah, get someone that. Someone who has enough experience in, in the performance management to understand if it's not working, what to do to fix it, and someone who can make the hard decisions to make it work. Yeah. Hmm. Um, can I just say a, a thing that I don't see in this background? And I don't know if you just haven't told us yet, or maybe we're not asking great questions. I don't see you getting beat up a lot in here, right? These all look like jumping from success to success. Um, did we? Uh, where are the beatings along the way? So, so the biggest. Okay, so the biggest beating was probably after. Well, so Nature Bridge was a beating because it's not. I was not prepared to lose that job, right? It was it was the first time where I was like, I have no job, but I have no, it wasn't my choice really to have no job. Right? I see. Mm -hmm. so, so I had to go figure out how I wanted to position myself, how I want to network over that and leverage a lot of the network I've built over the years to do it. But the second beating was after the CEO of SF back, again, I was not deliberate anymore, right? It, it, at that point, I am, you know, I'm reactionary. I'm not having been the decades of proact proactive and trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I had a, so the problem with the C-level titles is by definition, there's one C-level in every organization, right? It's not like there's a dozen roles they're hiring for, they're hiring for one, so the competition is really hard to get to. So it would take me way more interviews than ever before. It would take me like months of interviews to get through a process, and it was much harder to get in the door. So there was a good period of time after SF back where I was unemployed for a, a a good long time trying to figure out what my next step was. So that was probably the single beating. Because to your point, I was rolling along up to Nature Bridge and then I got, you know, like, okay, now I'm here. And then it's like, what am I doing? Um, right. So I had to really recalibrate what I needed to do, where I wanted to go. And it was rough there for a little while. I, I can't say it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, from the outside, right, it looks, as Phil said, it looks like a consistent success story, one after the other, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, what's that picture of success that looks like this, but it's actually like, you know, this little white one? Right. right. Or, or the duck that's constantly moving his feet under the water. No, there were definitely periods of uh, wasn't sure what I was going to do, recalibrate my expectations, a lot of interview failure, a lot of all that stuff because everybody has, right? Would you ever return yeah. to consulting? Uh, I mean, after the financial boom I got from Amazon, I, I'm, I'm not... I, at this point in my life, I'm closer to retirement than uh, anything else. But gotcha. I'm literally at the place where I'm like, I'm like four years until I can legitimately retire and just tour yeah. the world for the rest of my life. Uh, so if I did not have that in front of me, I don't know. So so I've gotten used to like this being my work outfit, yeah. being my level of, you know, so that ever I don't work the long hours anymore because I now have enough staff to work the long hours for me that I don't have to do that anymore. I don't know. I, I, I've. Probably not. Because there's one title that's not on your list of titles. Partner. 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 <laughs> we knew it. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. So, Patrick, what's the chances you might go form your own dysfunctional organization, you know, kind of beat people up, overuse their time, et cetera, right? That's the partner role, right? So, so the popular thing for Amazon is because so many people get say so well is that when you get to higher levels of Amazon, the most common thing for Amazon people to do is be like alpha investors, right? 
or they own a, a chain of restaurants or they, you know, own some other diversified income stream. So I think it's much more likely that I go buy real estate or buy something else and have a diversified income stream than it is that I start a consulting company. Mobile home parks. There, there you go. <laughs> I don't know if you're kidding or not, but I know that guy too. Mm, no, I'm not kidding. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. So I think we, we've covered almost, we started with sort of the last part of your career and we kind of went back and went through all of that. I think we've covered all of the major things. I, you know, if you were to, you know, not, you know, not sum up the history, but sort of you're, you're now looking back retrospectively. And, you know, again, for the cats out there that are listening, that are all, that are in it and living it right now. Right. And they're trying to plan their thing out and figure out what they need to do. What, what, I don't know, pick it, three bullets, three bullets, Patrick, what are the, what, what's like the, the number, what's the, the biggest lesson you got for these, for these cats or, or the biggest thing to avoid or, or something, right? Uh, Number one, be very deliberate, right? Understand what your end goal is and work backwards. I mean, again, most people don't, but I, I think that really helps clarify decisions over my entire career. Does this help me get to my end goal or not? Does this help me get to where I want to go? And I think that clarifies a lot, right? It's like, is this next job make sense? Does it get me closer to my goal, right? Second, understand the personal trade-offs. So the single biggest problem I have in consulting was Monday morning, when my son saw the suitcase, watching him cry is my last memory as I got on a plane to go to every client site I had, right? So I had hours of just replaying that memory of my son crying as I, as I flew away from him. That That is definitely one of the impacts of consulting, right? So I think as a young single individual, consulting is fantastic, right? Travel, expensive restaurants, you get to see the world, you get to solve hard problems. I think once you have kids and a family, it becomes an interesting conversation over you can provide a great life for your family, but how often do you see them and what trade-offs are you making to get there, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think that's the second one. And then the third one, it gets back into here is tactical, right? Again, I give advice to young consultants on this one is if you want to live in Manhattan or something, get a job in Pittsburgh, get a client in Manhattan. Therefore, they pay for your apartment, they pay for your expenses, and you live in a Pittsburgh lifestyle, putting the money away. Um, so there's probably some better ones than that. Those are the first three to pop in my head. Well, I like that one about be deliberate, right? Because that's something that we've we've talked about a lot on this before. And I know Phil, you're always you're you're always one talking about about making those deliberate choices and having goals and having a plan. And if your goal is X, how, what are the five things you need to do to get there, right? And all that all of that stuff. Um, just as an aside, right? I'm in Austin right now, and my wife's texting me that there's some sort of power surge going on at the house. So, right, that's you know, when you're a consultant, it's like you know, you can't. Like, I'm not gonna be home till ten o'clock tonight. Like, I can't fix that thing. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, it's like crises going on, and it's like I, I'm a thousand miles away. I can't. I can't do anything about it. It's just a, a thing that just happens to be happening right now. So, at any rate, um, Philip. <laughs> Philip. By the way, uh, Patrick. I don't know if you know this, but Phil is actually a baron of Sealand, right? Uh, you're familiar with Sealand. Sixty minutes. So, yeah. yeah. Right. It's that it's that platform off the coast of England, which is its own country, and you can pay for citizenship there. So uh, he's a a lord, a baron, a baron, a baron, yeah. baron, baron. Sealand. You know, probably the highlight of my career, really. Yeah, it's not. It a was a title name, that he collected. He was a like title, but the title I do not have. I've never had that title. Yeah. Oh well. Lockhart can get you scored on that one. So. <laughs> That's it. I like that. There's my LinkedIn headline, Baron. <laughs> yeah. 
I think I'm going to do that now. Now that it's all been highlighted, you know, I think that's an important thing. Um, yeah. Did you have a question for me? No, just your final thoughts. <laughs> oh, you know what? I think the, um, I don't want to say the highlight, the highlight reel, right? So Patrick Paint did such a vivid picture for us of what it was like to see his son crying as he left. And that is a price that you pay for that job as a consultant, right? It can be a price that you pay for that job. And you've got to figure out, is that what I want to be doing with my time at that time, right? Because again, you know, Patrick also pointed out that our lives are in stages, right? So as there's beginning of life, we're discovering and we're, we're in an exploration phase of our lives at the beginning. Then we go to family formation phase, right? And so then we got family, we got kids and we're, so that's our roles then. We have to figure out how do we balance our roles. So I, I, I did not think that today, I thought today we were going to be talking about how do we make pivots and how do we make jumps and how do we make good decisions about this? And yes, it's important to figure out what are at least is our proximate goal. But I, I think that Patrick also pointed out brilliantly for us that we have to figure out what prices we're paying and what are we actually getting? I think that it's super easy to know how much we're getting paid. We know what the job perks are. We might even know what the environment is like, but I don't think that we always think about what are we getting out of this in terms of how, it, you know, am I paying with my soul or am I filling my soul as I work for an organization? So I think this is super valuable for us to figure out what those yeah. values are and what those costs are and, and let's put that all together. So Patrick, yeah. thank you for that. I think it's super valuable. Thank you, Patrick. I really appreciate it, man. I know it was sort of last minute, but um you know, I'll I'll be we'll, we might cross each other at uh, Bergstrom Airport. On the, I'll be going out. You'll be coming in. But uh, yeah, um, listen, I appreciate. I thank you for the time, and um, it's great to see you after so many years. So, Filianoff, uh, thank you as always for your time. Uh, today we were missing Oliver and Wendy, but they'll be back, um, and we'll we'll talk to them in the future. Patrick, thank you again. I'm Chris Lockhart. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you all next time.